welcome to the podcast. Once again, my name is Phil Cross, founding partner here at Leaders for Good. And if you're listening to this, you hopefully have already listened to part one of this conversation with Naja Pal. If you haven't listened to part one, I highly suggest you start there so you can find a link to that episode in the show notes if you're coming to this episode directly, or you can find it wherever you find podcasts. Um, So we continue our conversation here on what does great look like from a DEI, so diversity, equity, inclusion perspective within organizations. So we continue our deep dive into um, certain topics such as leadership and the importance of employee voice in equitable organizations. So without further ado, we continue this conversation with Naja Pal. Again, the resources. I, I think. I think this is this is a, this is an important point to, to to kind of loop back to one of the things we said at the start, which is the about the resourcing and about when times get tough. Are is we might have been talking about this off mic actually that that funding <laughs> <laughs> sorry the conversations running together but f- but uh, funding and budget and and resources and and people get um um you know get get pulled and mm. I, I think a characteristic of an organization where this is a this is part of their philosophy as you say this is their mass this is in their master master set of values and they take it really really seriously is does this work continue with the same fervor and rigor when the organization is um uh maybe not having the best time as a as a as a mm. commercial business out there in the world because i think that shows the the real commitment to or the real understanding of how it drives value too because i th- i think mm. when organizations drop this i think it's because oh that 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 was the nice to nice to have thing we were doing over there and we could afford it when we were doing okay but but now that we're doing we're not doing so well we, we we don't need that as opposed to maybe doubling down on it because we this is the time we need more psychological safety we need more creativity we need more innovation we we need we need more talent from diverse um from diverse backgrounds in our organization so i think the i think for me that's a big signal like the organization some of the organizations we work with who who you know again were a lot of them are going through tumultuous economic times the ones that have stayed the course with the with with the initiatives and the programs they're building um are seeing the benefits i agree and you know we're seeing some really interesting behaviors like there isn't a business out there that isn't under pressure now mm. like whether it's pressure on your supply chain so a lot of our fmcg clients are having so much pressure on their supply chain they want to increase costs the supermarkets won't let them increase costs because the consumers can't afford to therefore buy the goods whether you're a technology business and you're under threat from chat GBT changes in tax laws, changing in international laws, and so you're, you know, making huge redundancies. Um, whether I mean, li- I mean, literally, I can't think of any businesses which aren't finding things challenging, whether it's due to commercial, social, regulatory um, pressures, um, and the reactions of the businesses like you say is deeply telling so we're working with one business at the moment which is a wonderful business it's quite small um it's a gaming business and their budgets are under huge challenge um Mm. they're doing really well they're a very successful business but because everything we discussed their budgets are on a huge challenge so recently 
um, three departments pulled their budget to put it into the DEI budget. So they mm. they got rid of their own budget. So they were like, you know what, we can probably do this ourselves. But in DEI, we need help. We need to have some budget. So they pulled their budget. And that's when you just go, that's a business that is absolutely ter- determined to do the right thing. Mm. Then you'll see massive global multinationals with en- reality is they have endless budget and they pull everything. Mm. And then you just go, okay, now we really we really know what what is important to you and what you're focusing on so it it really really is telling we're obviously a business which needs to survive no matter what people's um objectives are and what they're focusing on and what we're finding is that sometimes the more straightforward dei conversations are challenging for businesses right now mm. but going in talking about i know you've been doing some work in this space talking about inclusive leadership So getting your leadership future ready, talking about inclusive marketing. So ensuring your marketing work as inclusive as possible. And also we're doing a lot of work around leading through change Mm. because you may not want to invest in DEI from the point of view of coalface, but your people are struggling. Mm. And if they're fatigued, if they aren't able to perform, you're you're screwed no matter what. So I think it's about looking from my perspective because I'm not going to stop doing this work like if a business says oh we've got no budget to talk about disability Mm. I'm going to I'm still going to go back in there and try and help their people in their organization I'm not going to let a no um, get in the way I think there are different conversations we can have with businesses which are still DEI but we're just being open and receptive to some of the challenges that those businesses are facing right now Mm. Um, yeah I mean it's it is the proof is in the pudding when they pull it Um, and then my view is, okay, well, what's another way that we can help you support your people that will enable you to still have these conversations? Com- completely agree. And uh, the, the, an example I'll just share of, uh, of a lot of the work we're doing with organizations, which is directly supporting people to have these conversations is um, direct conversations training. And, and you can call that, you know, courageous conversations or difficult conversations or, you know, the, the, the numerous monikers it, it has. But unless people can have um, compassionate discussions um, around uh, issues of inclusion in their organization, then, um, you know, we're, we're, we're unlike, well, it, it's, it's creating a, it's creating a way for people to be skillfully noisy, just to, just to bring it back to um, bring it back to your point number one as well, because minds were never changed by shaming, blaming, and, and kind of pointing fingers no. in organizations. <laughs> so, so equipping people with the tools to have direct conversations, if they see stereotyping, if they see, um, you know, implicit or, or explicit, you know, racism or, or, or sexism or, or bias of any sorts, um, is really, really important, but it's also a transferable skill like that, you know, having a direct conversation around behavior or performance is, is, is something that's just generally beneficial to businesses. So mm-hmm. some, sometimes it's, it's finding ways to do, uh, do things things differently and, and frame things differently and and so many things contribute to great creating an, an inclusive organization that are just beyond the things that have inclusive leadership or bias in the the name of the the you know the the learning and development opportunity and um 100 and and sometimes again thinking of some of the, the the organizations lower on the maturity spectrum or just starting their their journey sometimes it is Sometimes it is just the starting with starting with a, a and and this gets maligned in the in the DEI space. Sometimes you know unconscious bias training is said as a dirty word. Ooh, <laughs> and, and, it is. And, I mean, I find it a little bit of a dirty word. I'm just going to be honest. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Our, our view on that is it depends how you do it. I, I think I think mm. you. you 
so you know we you know i know in in the work you do you talk about bias and and, and i think we oh yeah 100 we have to acknowledge it and i think it's the the so what after that so i, I, th I think it's bringing and and we poll we poll people in in our um in our in our uh, workshops you know how how much does bias affect your your day-to-day -day decision making and we know people don't have a good understanding of how bias actually works because in every organization we do this in the vast majority of cases <laughs> a good portion of the room go eh, maybe a little bit or no it doesn't <laughs> so so mm -hmm. so so there is a need there is a need for people to grok uh to grok what bias is for them to go oh i i right okay there's a bunch of stuff that's influencing how i think and feel and and, and act that that i'm i have no control over that that's you know been drip fed to me by the culture of i've i've observed, uh, i've i've been a uh, you know a participant in and and that's you know, wow, I'm I'm not actually, you know, the CEO of my own brain the way I the way the way I thought Ooh. I was, and then I think as long as it's con it's coupled with a concrete what to do about it, um, and I think as long as it's then connected to a broader strategy and a broader approach, because I agree, d doing a a one off unconscious bias training for an organisation to just go, yeah, we've ticked a box. It's a needle in a haystack or a pin in the ocean. I mean, I think you've summed it up really well in that. I think a lot of traditional or historical unconscious bias training was just telling people what bias was. Mm. That is obviously really important because to your point, if they don't understand it, then they can't move forward. But the critical thing that a lot of training doesn't do is then tell them what to do about it. Exactly. Because, you know, there's the interpersonal level on how you can manage bias. You can educate yourself. Well, there's the personal level you can educate yourself. There's the interpersonal level you can understand microaggressions and how it shows up. But the real way to get bias out of an organization is system and process change. Right. And that's the bit which is all too often um, ignored. So you can, you know, tra train your hiring managers to spot bias. But if you don't have panels in place, if you don't change fundamentally the recruitment process, having people more aware of their bias is so surface level. It will make a 10, 20 percent change, but not the fundamental bottom of the iceberg 80 percent mm. so for me it's bias is really important people definitely need to understand it but it needs to be part of a really big program and the focus needs to be on how it shows up and what you do about it mm. not the fact we have it um because you're right bias is the fundamental problem like that is what is um causing all the challenges well the majority of the challenges in the workplace because it's it's what's the word seeped into everything um not just our brains but everything and the and the what to do about it as well our, our view is is creating a uh you know creating a a whole host of little disruptors or little little troublemakers or change makers in the organization through doing this because because the what to do about it so often as you as you rightly pointed out is uh, advocate for systems change so while uh again we do a lot of inclusive hiring work on on process but and and also you know work with hiring managers if you've got those hiring managers that oh oh right i understand now that there's like so many points of bias in cvs and like a, a you know a cv cv blinding process um where we you know strip out superfluous names and photos mm -hmm. and all of those other all of those other uh, those points of bias would be really helpful if you get that hiring manager then to to go and ring some bells with the uh you know with the with the hiring with, you know with the with the people and culture team or whoever's in charge of that that's how we sort of create those little change yeah. agents in in the organization as well so i, I you know I, I think i think again 
the what to do about it includes what to do for me, what to do for my team, what to do for my organization and, and giving people some some concrete concrete ways to think about driving change. I, th- I think when we do that, that's when unconscious bias training moves from, because again, it's the dirty word because we've all had bad unconscious bias training. I know I've had, you know, again, it, it just, it just leaves, leaves you feeling deflated. Yeah. I've had situations where, you know, a bunch of blokes over going, were you biased against uh, women? Yeah, I was. Yeah, we both are. And then they just go off back to their desk and you're just mm. like, well, what? And that's just created more of a kind of a sense of team around having a bias <laughs> right. rather than trying to like unpick the actual bias. So for me, that that's always, yeah, the challenge with the training. But yeah. it's one small part of the DEI uh, jigsaw, a very Agreed. fundamental part of it. But yeah, one small part of it. It's not the DEI, DEI jigsaw. Agreed. Agreed. Um, Nadja, I'm mindful of time and, and I want to make sure we we, we sort of cover. <laughs> so I, I guess the question to you is what what were some of the other, like, I guess, big headline points that we didn't, we haven't touched on yet? Was there anything else you wanted to to sort of double click on and expand on as an example of, of again, what, what, what great looks like in this space? Yeah. I mean, I think a note on leadership is probably a really good thing. So, mm, you know, um, you've got leaders who do nothing, which is, you know, fine it's their prerogative I, I would say they're going to really ch- struggle to get non-executive positions and for their career to go grow you've got leaders who are allies and they don't stop change and they probably enable change in their organization and then you have leaders who actually are doing the change and that's for me what an inclusive leader is so you know I'll often be in conversations where a leader will say well you know I'm the chair of the pride ERG and I'll say, okay, so what do you do? Oh, well, I meet with them quarterly to see how they're getting on. Okay, so what do you do? And they sort of look at me and I'm just like, well, have you helped them change some policies? Have you changed how hiring's done? What have you actually done to mean that you're getting more diverse LGBTQ plus individuals into your organization or accelerating the careers of LGBTQ plus individuals in the organization? And they're just like, well, I've attended the quarterly meeting. That's not enough. Like, that's not an inclusive leader. That's just a nice leader. That's just someone who's kind of turning up to meetings on time. And let's be honest, there are some leaders who don't even do that. They might be the sponsor and they never show up. So Mm. showing up is good. We love you for showing up. So I think it's just really helping leaders understand that an inclusive leader is someone who is sponsoring, driving change, moving things forward. And that can be on whatever they feel most passionate or able to do. It can be you're looking at financial remuneration. So you sit in the finance team and that's what you decide to do. It can be that you're looking at the policies because you sit in the legal department. It can be that you sit in HR and you can look at training and capability building. It doesn't have to be a massive thing, but it's that you are actually active in changing something. And so when you get to your year end, you can go, this happened because I really supported this team of people and I helped clear the way and make it happen. Mm. That for me is what I'd say is how leaders can, you know, look in the mirror and go, yes, I am an inclusive leader because they can see the difference and the impact that they've had. So that I think is the one thing I'd, I'd call out because I think a lot of leaders think their job is to just support and to cheerlead and to wave. And this stuff is really hard. If they don't really lean into it, then no, nothing nothing mm. is going to nothing is going to change 
If you like what you've heard so far in the podcast and are looking for new ways to bring diversity, equity and inclusion to life in your organization, why not reach out for a chat? At Leaders for Good, we offer a range of solutions from diversity, equity, inclusion strategy sprints through to inclusive leadership workshops to DEI training for your whole organization. So if that sounds good, drop us an email at hello at leadersforgood.org point out there i'd like to again draw a line under that you made that i think i think is really important and and i think a way for leaders to think about how they're how they're contributing to, to this work in their organization is leveraging their particular specialist skill set in, in a way that's most effective it's, it's again to, to draw the analogy of charity work if, if i want to do good in the world am i best going and digging a well somewhere you know and and and, and using my hands to dig a well or am i better running an organization focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and giving a big chunk of our profits to to to, to various causes. Well, it's obviously the latter, because that uses my skill sets as a, yeah. you know, as, a, as, a, as a facilitator, as a coach, as a strategist, and all, all the rest of it. And I think one of the one of the things we've we've actually encouraged a lot of organizations to do is move away from this default expectation of creating these DEI working groups because so often no one does any work especially if they're top heavy <laughs> so you get a bunch of well-meaning people turning up to them and again they turn up to the monthly meeting but in between they're not actually driving any change yeah. um, and and people are picking up uh, projects which actually aren't in their specialist skill and wheelhouse to to do anything about and and therefore they either they either are ineffectually um implemented they they languish and and we're talking about leaders in organizations they they they're, they're very often most most of the time they're not sat, sat around twiddling their thumbs looking for <laughs> looking for things to do they're mm. you know they're, they're often working you know more hours than they uh than they should be to to begin with so i think being intentional and clear about okay where are we acting as champions and advocates and 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 amplifying messages and amplifying and and and, and uh you know putting a voice behind work that's happening elsewhere in the organization and where are we picking up a shovel and getting our hands dirty as leaders and i think i think doing uh, it's it's a both and for, for leaders but what's your particular shovel to pick up as an inclusive leader um you know, beyond the base level of okay, how do I how do I operate my team and 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 how do I operate inclusively as an individual? But but the actual work here, you know, what's my particular shovel, and also how am I how am I being a, an amplifier and an advocate for the work other people are doing? I think just to, to to sort of put that in a few buckets. Yeah, I mean the the classic example is if you're the VP of marketing, mm. then look at your marketing. Exactly, like that that is where you should be focusing because I can guarantee your marketing has got exclusion baked into it so you understand marketing you know what makes brilliant marketing but you may not know what makes brilliant inclusive marketing so sit down with your marketing team have a discussion and sort it out right if you're the vp of sales well again have a look at your product development is inclusion baked into how you're developing your products who you're pitching to how you're sourcing your leads i, I mean i couldn't agree more i think often you know, the head of marketing will go, I'll sort out recruitment. And it's just like, but no, like that's me trying to do my own plumbing in my house. It's going to go right. badly. Focus on what you know and be a brilliant ally for what you know. And then if you have a lived experience where you want to bring your expertise, maybe you've had some mental health challenges, maybe you're 
um, from the non-dominant gender, um, from the organisation, maybe you're LGBTQ+, then bring your lived experience to support those communities and minorities in your organisation. But use your skills and what you what your skills are brilliant for. And that, again, will drive just so much more change. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I think it's a really important point. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Uh, and again, it's it's helping leaders get clear on what an inclusive leader is as well, because people hear the two words together and they think, okay, inclusive leader, I, I kind of get that. And it doesn't just mean that I'm not overtly racist, sexist, prejudiced kind of thing. That that's just called being a being a decent person. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, and if you look at the frameworks of allyship now, they're really clear. Doing nothing means you're an aggressor. So, you know, silence is violence. And that's one of the things where we see eyes kind of go like that. They're just like, mm-hmm, huh? Mm-hmm. And we're just like, it doesn't matter that you're sitting there and thinking, oh, God, what John said was a bit bad. Or, well, I'm fine because I know it was bad. You've got to say something about what John said. You've got to intervene in what John said. Um, and I think making it really clear that it's not good enough to be nice. Um, you wouldn't sort of sit there and think oh this marketing plan's not working oh well john's doing his best i'll just let this marketing plan continue to go really really badly no Mm. you'd intervene because Mm. you'd see there was a problem Mm. in marketing and it's going to cripple the business it's exactly the same as leaders is taking action that's what defines a leader is you're taking action when you need to take it so i think it's yeah if if you're not taking action then you're actually yeah you're as you're as bad as the people who are actually who are doing the the damaging work Mm. sounds Uh, harsh but it's true sorry everybody listening who's a leader and and the lead and 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 the leadership shadow is real what leaders do matters in an organization whether you know whether we like that or not the what what's permitted what's what's let uh, I think you use, use the example of just behavior in general, but I think that's amplified when a leader does or does not do, do something and, and, and everybody in the org, it's more visible. Um, and, and also that person typically has more formal power. But it sets the norm. It makes people think it's the norm. So if a leader says nothing and does nothing, everybody thinks that it's okay to say nothing and do nothing. Um, so you're setting, yeah, you're setting a norm. If you don't speak out when you hear something or see something, then you're establishing that it is perfectly acceptable for everyone to not speak out when they hear something or see something. So yeah, it's absolutely critical. So if, if that would be the thing I'd pull out is just leaders really um, taking action, taking action. Yeah, I would agree with that. Nadja, anything else before we move on to our, our, our few? Uh, our, I want to ask you a few getting to know you quickfire questions to to round out the conversation because I'm I'm sure people are deeply curious about you as an individual. Um, we, I think we've covered loads, so I think we're kind. Yeah, I think we've covered loads and loads. So, um, yeah, let's go on to the quickfire round. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, th- this conversation could go on for another two hours, and and we wouldn't <laughs> we wouldn't get to the we wouldn't get to the bottom of the barrel. So, um, but then it would be midnight for me. So that would be bad. Uh, that yeah, that would be bad, and then I would miss a bunch of meetings. I have to. We we we'd both get in trouble in different ways. <laughs> Maybe we'll do a round two at some point in the future. If um, you know, if we get the, I'm, I'm assuming we will get a good positive response to this episode. It's been uh, been a fascinating conversation. But outside of thinking about uh, thinking about DEI and 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 the work you do at Utopia what do you what do you obsess about or what do you um, what do you enjoy doing on evenings and weekends besides obviously this evening doing a podcast <laughs> I saw that question and I was like god that's such a good question what do I obsess about um uh, I probably I'm gonna give 
I'm going to give very quick round, three rounds. So I do obsess about how awful the world is becoming at the moment. I think we all do. It adds to the general pressure we're feeling. But when I when I was reading yesterday about the seventh black trans woman being murdered in um, in the US, when I hear about all the DEI individuals who are losing their jobs and their roles, I I do obsess with oh my God, like, is this the future we want to leave to our children? Is this the future we want to create? And it does cause me to work harder. Now, that's obviously potentially very unhealthy. So I have to try and balance that obsession with another thing, which is I am obsessed. And for those of you listening in Australia, you're going to find this especially amusing with cold water swimming. Mm. Now, when I say cold water swimming in the UK, I mean cold Water swimming. So, are you jumping in the serpentine in in winter? Is that what's? uh... Well, I swim um, in quite a few places, but I'm very fortunate to have a Lido. Does Lido translate in Australia? Well, people know what a Lido is. No, I I know what you mean, obviously, but um... okay. So, a Lido is invented by the Victorians. A lot of them are around 100 plus years old. They are open water, unheated swimming pools. So, I have a 50 meter open open. swimming pool just literally 10 minutes down the road for me called Brockwell Lido do check it out some lovely photos and that will regularly go down over the winter to two degrees three degrees four degrees and I will get in I, I do wear a wetsuit because I like to swim for a reasonable long time I like to do a kilometer every time I swim so I will get in with gloves socks wetsuit hat um, and stay in that water for as long as I possibly can and the combination of moving my body um, with an exercise and being in absolutely freezing cold water really helps take the pain away of some of the things that are happening in the world that I find so challenging and upsetting at the moment. I love it. Like cold, freezing. Yeah, there's very little opportunity to do that here in Australia. (laughs) Um, But um, yeah, I love it. And so many benefits to that. I I will, I will refrain from nerding out on the, on cold thermogenesis and things of that nature, but, but yes, love it. You said there was a third thing as well. Yeah, the third thing is I try not to buy anything new. Mm. So um, I've refurbished a house. The wallpaper you can see behind you is original 70s wallpaper. Um, All the art in my house is old. My clothes, this jacket I'm wearing is vintage. I try not to, wherever possible, buy anything new. And it's actually very, very easy for a lot of things apart from toilets. Mm. Uh, That's very hard to buy second hand. I try to do that. So, yeah, that's probably the third thing, trying to really keep my footprint on the new things down um, is really, really important to me. That's something I need to get better at, especially <laughs> on the uh, especially on the front of technology. I'm a I'm a I'm a, I'm a sucker for um, I'm a sucker for gadgets, but um, apart from that, I uh, yeah I, I I aspire to be more like you on that front. That's uh, that's a, that's a no, noble goal. Anything you've changed your mind about recently, and it can be work related or or, or non work related. This is a this is a this is a, often a toughie for people. But anything you've changed your mind on? Yeah, I just I saw that question and I had um, a big think about it, and I'm sort of my answer is probably quite hard to articulate. So um, I don't think I've changed my mind. I'd say I've opened my eyes. That's the phrase okay. I'm going to use. So um, I am a white, straight, cis female, age 48. 
And growing up, I was very, I very much identified with being from a marginalized group. So mm. I'm working class, like I said, a lot of trauma in the background, female when there were very few females in digital and marketing and technology. And so I very, very strongly identify with being from, you know, the, the minority group, a marginalized group. About three or four years ago, I had to give myself a little bit of a talking to, and it was partly inspired by some of the horrific behaviour I saw in women like me, So, um, which I will go on to in a minute, when I had to accept that in the Western world, so in the UK, in Australia, in America, in Europe, white, straight, cis women are the second most privileged group of people. So yes, I have faced discrimination throughout my career. But it's nothing compared to what I would have faced if I was a woman of colour, if I was an LGBTQ plus woman, or if I was a woman with a disability. And I've had to really reassess the privilege that I have had. And I now have. I've obviously worked very hard for some of my economic privilege, but I also don't have to carry the burden or tax, invisible tax of some of the other marginalised identities out there, Mm. which means it's as much as it is my job to use my lived experience to drive change. It's also my job to make space for people whose voices have historically been heard at a lesser volume than mine. Mm. And I've had to really challenge myself not to center myself in discussions of marginalization or prejudice or discrimination because I come from the second most privileged identity. Mm. And the reason why I think that's so important is one of the things we often talk about is the violence of white women. So, white women will often use their history of marginalization as an excuse when they are vile to other marginalized groups, absolutely Mm. vile. So one of the things uh, women of color will often talk about is how it's not the white men who are vile (laughs) towards them, it's the white women. Because the women think, well, I understand privilege, discrimination and all this kind of thing, so I can't be biased. I can't be behaving badly to people. But of course, as a, as a white straight system, I have loads of bias. I have oodles of bias and I have to watch my behavior all the time. But a lot of women like me don't watch their behavior all the time because they feel that they get it and mm. they really, really, really don't. So I would say I've had to really reappraise my how I self-identify and you know, look back and go, okay, well, I was in part of a business, I was given some equity. If I'd been a woman of colour, I wouldn't have got that equity. I know I wouldn't because of the leaders. They weren't bad people, but they had so much bias, I probably wouldn't have even got the job. Mm. And I have to look at that and go, you've been really fucking lucky, Nadia. And some of your success is not because you're brilliant, it's because you're white, straight, and without a disability. And Mm. you have had so much privilege in your life. And just like you tell the men, you need to do that too. Um, So I'd say that's what my eyes have been opened to. So it's kind of a changing of the mind, but it's kind of like a big light bulb moment for me. Thank you for sharing. And um, I I suspect a couple of light bulbs might have gone off in in the audience as well <laughs> listening listening to that um and uh yeah like i i one thing one thing i love about you and and in all the conversations i've had is is your um your willingness to be so self-reflective and so um uh, and so open about your your experience and, and your views on it so yeah really really appreciate that and i'm, I'm sure people listening do as well um Last question, the worst leadership advice you've ever received? I mean, that one's really easy and it's so interesting. It shows how times have um, changed. Now, I can't even remember the name of the book. Cheryl Cheryl Sandberg's book that was published in like 2010. Lean lean in? Lean in. 
Yeah. Lean in. Ah, so this, I mean, this is kind of like an example of, I think, again, what I was talking about with the violence of white women. A lot of the uh, leadership advice I was getting in the early 10s was act like a man. Mm. Domin- like, literally, you'd be trained on how to dominate a room. What, what the, there is nothing good with dominating a room. No one ever should be dominating a room. If you're dominating a room, then you're silencing all the other voices and all the creativity and innovation in the room. But in the early 10s, it was all about make your own table, make space at the table, dominate a room, be assertive. Mm. And I used to sit there going, this feels really weird to me. And then one day, probably about a year later, 2013, 2014, I was like, can hate the men who dominate a room why would i want to dominate a room i want to change how rooms are managed i don't want to dominate a room i want to make space in room i want there to be really fruitful amazing discussions in rooms so a lot of that kind of early tens gender movement um for me was just deeply deeply toxic because it was trying to get women to behave take on all the characteristics that some men have which are problematic um there's a great disney cartoon called pearl which it's very cute but it sums it up brilliantly where she's this lovely lovely ball of wool and then she goes into this male environment and she becomes a suit and becomes really really nasty until another lovely ball of wool joins and then she's like what am i doing why have i adopted all these behaviors that was undoubtedly the pressure that i had in my 30s and 40s was to adopt all these toxic behaviors so Mm. um now when anyone is trying to enforce a dominant culture on someone else i'm just like no the dominant culture needs to change to make space for everybody not everyone needs to assimilate to the dominant culture um so yeah that was the worst so lean in no go away lean out and be yourself (laughs) <laughs> I'm I'm giving you a virtual high five across the uh, across the, across the oceans. There, no, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more with that. Um, obviously, not 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 speaking at that from a, a place of having that lived experience, but just recognizing objectively that's a <laughs> that's terrible advice. No um, offense to her, um, and it was a product of its time, but oh, it was so damaging in hindsight. Yeah so so damaging Najat thank thank you so much for the for the conversation it's been it's been fascinating and and any any um final thoughts any asks of the audience any um any pearls of wisdom you want to you want to leave people with before we close out yeah I think the thing I would probably say is the world is changing the ethnic makeup of the world is changing the plurality of how people identify is changing and the world is only getting more complex Mm. so EI can will go in swells like the sea you know sometimes it'll be higher up the agenda and sometimes it'll be lower up the agenda but every time you put it lower down the agenda you're removing the ability for your organization to be future ready and to be able to face into the upcoming complexities of the world so no matter what the commercial pressures please please see DEI as fundamental to your business success and your business survival not just something that you should do when it's hitting the headlines would be my final words love it well thank you so much again um i will put links in the show notes to to you and utopia and and some of the things we discussed in the uh in the podcast should should people want to want to find those and reach out and, and learn more um and final thank you to you the listener for staying with us for this uh for this conversation and we'll see you again next time thanks everybody lovely to chat to you 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Leaders for Good podcast. If you got value from this conversation, you can leave a rating or a comment in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can share it with a friend or a colleague. In fact, that's the most effective and meaningful way that you can support us and support this podcast. We are keen to hear from you. If you have any comments, thoughts, or feedback, you can send us an email at hello at leadersforgood.org. And if you're interested in engaging us, if you're interested in a conversation about creating a more equitable, diverse, inclusive organization, a conversation about shifting your culture, you can reach us once again at hello at leadersforgood.org. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day. 